Clay, in this episode called Home, we learn that the Vulcans have a tradition where the guests, if you're staying over somewhere, the guests who are in the household get up a little bit early. But anyway, they get up in order to prepare the food for the breakfast the next morning, which apparently takes hours because it's daylight when they start eating, but they get up at four o'clock in the morning. Um, I was wondering, I thought that seems fair. I thought maybe Earth should adopt this tradition <laughs> because if you're hosting people, it does seem more fair that the guests would be the ones who are expected to prepare food and things like sure. that as a kind of sure. payment for having your uh, lodging taken care of. What, what do you think? Uh, I don't disagree, but at the same time, I feel like that's such a crapshoot as far as, you know, do you really want them to? Can they cook? Have they never cooked? before and if they haven't do you really want to you know uh test your stomach on that um might be a lot I, of I questions too about where's the spatula and stuff like that yeah you, you know it's like i'll just do th- i'll do this for you yeah you got to be up at the same time they are just so you can sit nearby and just point <laughs> at the drawers when they look at you and go eh? yeah hurry hurry the eggs the eggs um do you yeah, have I, a I, uh do you have a um uh jeez, oh, what is this called uh do you have a uh, ladle. <laughs> no, we don't have. You embarrass yourself not not knowing where your your ladle is and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess it's um, I guess more to the point. Like guests at places aren't really expected to do things. They usually will. There's usually a gift involved or something, or buying food or something. But I didn't. They it's. The, the episode is kind of playing it as if this was a big surprise. And Tripp is like, well, this is just the craziest thing. Now, he doesn't really get that off on it, but it's like it's really the extreme earliness that they get up. But I, I thought it was fair. I thought that was a fair trade off. If you maybe maybe the Vulcans just have to you have to print out the recipe, leave everything out on the counter for them <laughs> the night before and say, go to town on your, uh, you know, Mexican omelet or whatever you're going to make. Yeah, I mean, I guess you I guess you could probably rank or have a tiered system of guests where you know whether or not you should let them use the oven or maybe just leave the cereal yep. in an, a, a conspicuous place. Right. Invite only the fanciest cooks over. Who's the best <laughs> cook you know? Uh, my mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> aside from my mom, I don't I don't know. I, I actually know some pretty good cooks, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. Pat and Meredith make good food. Broadus and Lara make good food. Uh, Galveston Broadus puts, a, food. puts excellent pictures on Instagram of his yeah, food. I don't know what it tastes for like, it. but yeah, yeah. He, he he makes great food. Yeah, I He's I got uh, food um, and wine magazine uh, freelance positions available to him. Yeah, I cook the way that I do everything, which is like extremely like I'm. <laughs> this sounds this sounds conceited, but uh, I'm good at it. But I'm extremely impatient, so I I don't mm-hmm. like to cook stuff that is very elaborate. Um, yep. but the stuff that I do cook comes out pretty good. Yeah, if I had a sous chef, I'd be excellent at cooking. <laughs> if I just had someone chopping all the the garlic and you know, if I had, stuff. if I had someone who would wipe up the goddamn counter in between steps, mm. that would go a hugely long way for me because it always but ends the, up covered in like stray spices or chicken juice or something. <laughs> Put the Roomba up on the counter with a little chef hat on it, and it'll it'll there take care go. of everything. I don't know who the best cook is that I know. Uh, when you're young, you think it's your grandmother, and then you get older and you're like, she cooked the same three things over and over again. They were mm-hmm. good, but they were the same three things. I think it might be my father. He makes a great mole, which takes like 
he was telling me about this. He brought this mole over and it was it like blew my socks off. It was the most unbelievable <laughs> food I've ever had. And I was like, how do you make this? Give me the recipe. And he started talking. He he might still be talking about how long it took to make this fucking mole. He it was like you have to leave the meat out for three days and you have to age the peppers. It's like what the? F- Why did you put so much effort yeah, into this? It's fantastic. I don't have time for but, that shit. I I actually we just had someone over last night and I made uh, my mother's recipe for uh, meatballs and and uh, sauce. And yeah. uh, that was that's a, like a classic recipe that I always blew my mind when I was younger. And when I finally got the recipe, I was like, this is the easiest thing in the world. You just yeah. put a bunch of stuff into a pot and you leave it for three hours. And the three mm-hmm. hours sounds daunting, but it literally just means you got to check on it every once in a while to make sure it's not burning. Yeah. And aside from that, it takes like 15, 25 minutes to put it together. Absolutely. Well, let's go home and have some food. <laughs> and now we're going to talk about home, which is the next episode. Paula of Dean is joining Enterprise. us for this episode, I think, right? <laughs> I have a tremendous amount of butter behind me. This is not this is not a light behind me. This is the glow from 12 pounds of butter. Um, we'll take a break. I'm going to play a clip from home, then we'll come back and we'll break it down. The guest bar isn't fresh. My stasis unit needs to be replaced. Hmm. Well, I'd be happy to take a look at it. If I can recalibrate a warp reactor out, I'd be able to handle a kitchen appliance. My daughter's always been fascinated by alien worlds. She was all too eager to finish her schooling and leave Vulcan. As I recall, you encouraged me to leave. A mother is expected to push her young out of the nest. At some point, they're supposed to return. Home is the third episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Enterprise. It came out on October 22nd, 2004. It is 28 of 28 in the Zindi Crisis. I think because they have a a Zindi in it is the reason that this makes it into the crisis. Uh, But maybe there's another reason we'll get into it. It is one of three in the xenophobic human arc, written by (laughs) Michael Sussman, directed by Alan Croker, in Universe State, not known specifically, but it's 2154. In this episode, once. Aren't we all just living through an an unending. Uh, in one of infinity symbol of the xenophobic human saga. I mean, tell me what, tell me when it started, you know, how far do we have to go back? The first fish that crawled out of the ocean and hated the other fish that didn't look like it. Yeah. In this episode that they call home, once enterprise finally returns to earth, the weary crew face repercussions from their journeys, both positive and negative, which is the way it'll be. That's kind of a strange blurb, but it Mm. makes sense. But that's, that's a strange one. What'd you think of home? I talk. I usually talk about these things early, but I'll I'll give you the chance to open the floor with this one. Um, I actually I really like this episode. I uh, I was very happy to watch this coming off of the last the first two parter. Um, because I felt I really felt like this was the episode that needed to happen after the Zindi stuff, and the fact that we had to spend two episodes in alternate universe Brooklyn really bummed me out um and this was it hit a lot of the stuff i hoped it would hit um and i i i i would be interested to to i'll be interested to see what the the responses to this one are because i can see people not liking it because it is kind of more soap opera y than it is star trekky yeah but the i think you're talking about yeah yeah or or you know i'd be curious what the general consensus is of this this episode yeah um but i feel like this episode 
is just needed to happen. Uh, they needed to do an episode like this where you got some character stuff and they delved into um, some repercussions of of stuff of like they de- they delve into the change in character of Archer in a way that was more satisfying I, I felt than it was when they were actually changing his character. Um, the stuff with Trip and Paul I really liked. Uh, except for, except for T'Pol referring to that other guy as, uh, sorry, except for T'Pol's mom referring to that other guy as T'Pol's fiance. That felt mm-hmm. really weird to hear a Vulcan say, he's your fiance. <laughs> um, I was expecting like, he's your ghoul, ghoul tagi or some yeah, fake. Yeah, uh, a couple of apostrophes, word. a word with a couple yeah. of apostrophes stuck into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that stuff was good. I the ending was was a soap opera cliffhanger, which I appreciated. I just thought it was pretty. I thought it was good. I even liked the bar stuff with Flocks and him being uh, kind of reticent to go back to Earth because he might get a, uh, assaulted and stuff. I liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm torn about Home. I um, Home is the f- Enterprise version of Family. Right, TNG's family, which is after the best of the both worlds arc, they have the family episode where Picard goes home, or oh, sure, meets yeah. his adopted parents, and Picard sorts out his trauma with a fraught relationship with his brother. And they wrestle in the mud, and then he sort of breaks down, and everything gets uh, fixed from that. It's that kind of a character-based, see where we stand now episode to sort of like slow everything down and get you understanding where the characters are. I think that... I think what's tough about this episode and this show at this point is that it's impossible for me to divorce what these current episodes are from everything that we know which has led to them, really. Sure, sure. I think that... I think that this episode almost sits better in a vacuum than it does when I go, well, this came after three episodes of what I've been watching already. Mm -hmm. I just find basically the big weakness of this this one to me is that for a character-based episode, I think that this shows you how weakly drawn even the best-drawn characters on this show are in terms of what they want to talk about and what they understand and what they feel about things. I think like... Like Archer's stuff all makes sense to me, but it never really lands with me. I'm never mm-hmm. like, I never really feel like Archer is all that torn up about things. A lot of this might be Bacula, where I found the opening scene with his speech to humanity was terrible. I thought, like, from yeah, the staging perspective to like the speech to the yeah. performance to everything, I was like, this is this is really bad. That, but that just, whole scene was rough from the way that they walked in and you didn't see the crowd, I was like, oh, they're really going to do this with a... <laughs> like this, like it's the WWE during the pandemic where you just have piped-in crowd noise. Is that what they're yeah. going to do? Um, yep. And then you turn around and get like the 30-second shot of still CGI. And yeah, it's not great. A CGI and, yeah, crowd and, standing half a mile away so you can't see how CGI they are. For, for some reason, they're an incredible distance yeah. away from the podium that's speaking. Yeah, and his speech uh, itself was was not great <laughs> it's not good it, it the no. writing wasn't good and i don't think the performance is good but i i just think like i think a lot of the storylines suffer here from i i like what the show is trying to do but i don't really feel like 
I know the characters well enough. It almost feels like maybe next season they should do an episode like this. You know, it's like it's like give us an, a season where you get to know the characters and then move into home. Mm-hmm. I'll throw it to you with that and just the fact like I think what this did was that this one really highlighted to me how badly conceived and executed in how it came about the trip into Paul relationship is because I don't really buy where they are at this point in sure. their yeah. relationship. Yeah. Like I, I, I think it was a relationship born out of weird time travel shenanigans and like not really honest getting together with any, like it's not they, that they came together uh, of their own agency or anything. There were a lot of outside factors. And now just after one trip to Vulcan, Chip's like, well, I guess I love her. I guess I love that goddamn Paul, you know. And it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know about yeah, this. Yeah. That might have been what you were talking about the soap opera aspect. But what, what I mean, you think? You've ne- you, it's an age-old story of boy meets girl, girl massages boy, boy d- dies, boy creates clone of boy <laughs> who falls in love with girl. Girl has visits to, volcano planet. <laughs> girl has to face her feelings for boy clone who dies, only to hide them again from real boy. And then girl meets future version of herself that tells her that boy is her husband. The one. You've seen it a million times, but you've never seen it like quite like this. Um, no. Yeah. It's, I, I think, oddly enough, I think, the, I think the Archer stuff works better <clears throat> as, a, as, as something that was built off of what they were trying to do with him in the last season. But I think the trip into Paul stuff works better from a purely soap opera standpoint. Because I agree with you. Yeah. I think I think it does point out that, like, you, you don't – there hasn't been that much, like, uh, moonlighting stuff with them. You know, it, it's just – because she, they slept together once, and then she's like, "That's it. We're not going to really talk about this anymore." And they never really did. And they yeah. had a couple little scenes where that were endearing, but they never went out of their way to um, lean into this relationship in a way, or, or the cat and mouse aspect of the relationship that would lead you to this point. Um, Never really spend any time with each other alone. Like after the feelings came out, they kind of they stopped even really doing the massage sessions because I think because the plot demanded it, there was no time for that kind of stuff. But they haven't. I I don't feel that they've built a relationship. Yeah, I was just gonna say like there's that line where uh, Trip says. Uh, I knew I knew I was in love with her the first time that I argued with her. I was like, when the fuck did they argue with each other? Like I I I couldn't even think (laughs) of like a bunch of one. Yeah, Yeah, I guess that's a. Sure, that's a long time ago. At this she point. yelled at him when he got pregnant and told him it was the wrong <laughs> yeah. thing to do. That's yeah. that's when he knew. <laughs> um, just just like my daddy did. He yelled at my mom when she was pregnant. Uh, yeah, it's it is it is really strange because it, it the story that they're telling feels natural, but it it also feels oddly contrived because of that. I think because they are kind of fast forwarding a bit, and I do agree. I think this works better in a vacuum with this storyline in particular than it does um, building off of the stuff they've uh, gotten to this point. Cause I think, I think the thing that pushes it over the edge is the, uh, is the, the graduate 
aspect of it where she's getting married and he has to go and and stop her from getting married because he loves her. That's that's a bit that's a bit much. But the idea that Trip goes to Vulcan with her and maybe when they're on Vulcan they, if it had been them going to Vulcan and connecting with each other more legitimately, emotionally, that would have been I think worked. That would have been a lot more believable, but when they get there, it yep. basically just turns into to Paul arguing with her family and her fiance about not wanting to get married and her mother getting kicked out of the council or at the school or whatever. Um, so there's not really a lot of time for relationship building with this person that you're supposedly supposed to be in love with. But to to bring it back to like the the family comparison again, I really like mm-hmm. the family episode. We gave it. We watched it with Sean Murphy. We all gave it fives for the family thing. What family does. I think and for the trip into Paul thing is that the Picard fight with his brother and then the breakdown of where he admits that he feels uh, the tremendous guilt for being Borgified and he gave up all the information and the Starfleet suffered the huge loss at Wolf 359 and it's all his faults because he gave the Borg all that information when he was assimilated uh, and then he breaks down. That That feels organic and realistic for the character to break down at that point in a way that to Paul's mother's trick here into sort of tricking, not tricking, but it's like she, she's she's forcing the issue with to Paul and Trip. Like she's yeah. like, you got to marry this guy because I need to get my professor job back at the academy. And if you don't do it, I'm going to be really disappointed to the point where they have to add that because honestly, I don't understand. I think his name is Koss. I don't understand Koss's demand that to Paul marry him really because right. they don't yeah. know each other and it doesn't seem like the the typically the arranged marriage has something for each family that they get out of it that the reason that's the reason that you make this business deal between each other but to Paul is engaged to him from the start of the series but the reason that her mother wants her to do it is because she lost her job recently because of what to Paul has done in recent history right so there's no original reason for Cost to want to get married to T'Pol because the reason that is being forced on us is only something that happened in the past couple episodes or seasons or whatever when T'Pol got in trouble. Sure. Um, I just, I, I, I think it be, it feels flimsy to me because I can see that they're trying to force some kind of thing to happen with Trip and T'Pol. It's not like the, it's not a vacation episode where they go and they have a little minor adventure that's very character, easygoing, but character centric. And you go like, oh, I can see how these two are falling in love a little bit more. They're, mm-hmm. they're trying too hard to, to prod the story along. And it, it seems silly to me. And I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. The other thing is that, I have a I I continue to have an enormous problem with the way the Vulcans are portrayed in this series. I just don't think it's good. I don't think it's right. And yeah, I don't know if you wanted to go back onto the part about pushing the story. If you want to talk about the Vulcans, um, I don't have much to say about the Vulcans just because <clears throat> I I don't think I've ever really formed a per, an opinion about how Vulcans should be portrayed. Um, so I, th- I think you just I think you're a little more sensitive to that than I am. Uh, as far as when you see it, when it's it seems incorrect, I, I just don't know them well enough to really. Uh, I like sometimes I can, but generally in this show, I haven't been able to really uh, notice it that much. So, um, so did you? Did you? Well, did you find the mother to be a decent portrayal of a Vulcan? <sighs> she seemed just kind of like a normal person to me. Uh, yeah. You know, except they they changed some buzzwords. So instead of saying feel, 
or happy. She was like, it is agreeable that you are here or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, hey, hey, Koss, I didn't, has I didn't, a, Koss has a line when he before he leaves. He says, I just want you to be happy. And I went, why the fuck did, right. does a Vulcan yeah, care about that? This, do, this doesn't make any sense. I, I really have a problem with it because my absolute favorite scene in Star Trek history is the end of Voyage Home where Sarek and Spock talk to each other. And sure. it's, a very, it's a very upright and very principled and very emotionless conversation. But the subtext is everything there, whereas Sarek is glad that Spock is alive, but he can't really say anything about it. Spock is happy to see his father. Uh, Sarek says, like, you know, they have that, that exchange about these, uh, your, your compatriot, Sarek says something about, like, your, your coworkers are really decent people, and Spock says they're my friends, and Sarek says, of course they are. And it's this, it's this kind of understated thing where they don't, they don't ever break the performance of what I think the Vulcans are supposed to be conceptualized as. The reason I think it's a problem right. here is because this story is very difficult to do with the Vulcans unless you make it about how difficult the Vulcans are to get along with in this kind sure. of way. And I think that people keep telling me that the show is going to fix this somehow in the future, but my point still stands at this point, these Vulcans don't act the way that I think Vulcans are supposed to act, and I think that it impacts the storytelling because it's not... Archer has a line in here about he, he, the characters, as I've always said, constantly refer to the Vulcans in a way that I understand them to be, which is that they suppress everything. They're emotionless. They're very hard to get to know. They're very cold and they're very cynical or they're very um, difficult to get along with. Mm-hmm. But here, there's just lines from Constant, I just want you to be happy. And to Paul's mother getting like visibly upset when to Paul says things to her. And it's like they're, mm-hmm. they're just, I don't know if this is too Star Trek nerdy, but I, I just think from a storytelling of what this universe is, this is not really the way that they're supposed to be. T'Pol's the only exception because he's on drugs. That's the only, And her mother asked her, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting this way? But I think everyone else is way too sensitive to stuff. And I think that it, yeah. hurts, the, it hurts the series in some ways. Yeah, I mean, he shouldn't be saying, all I want is for you to be happy. He should be breaking down the why it's logical for them to get right. married. Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. And yeah. he doesn't have that because I don't know what he's getting out of this. There's no logical rationale. It's, it's for logical for DePaul. It. Like it's it was logical right. for DePaul. Yeah. But yeah, there's no uh, there's no other side to that where where for him it you know cements his position as a you know person in the community or some shit. I don't know. Um, I, I found the mother to be. I found the mother to react emotionally when T'Pol would say things to her. And I find it like, I think that comes down to the writing too, because when you write these guys, I think you really have to hone in on the fact that they're having a very clinical argument with each other and let the actors exist underneath that. And I don't think that they do that here. And I don't know, I don't know how damaging it is to the episode itself, but it hurts my perception of what are they trying to do? And if they're choosing to use Vulcans as these characters, it's not a good choice because they're not they're not making the, the interesting choice that a Vulcan would do in this point to actually make it worth being a Vulcan. It could be anybody otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it, there doesn't seem to be a, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, th- there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, 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 uniqueness to the way that they're playing them. Uh, I didn't love the mother character full stop, really, because that, that whole thing just feels like it's, it's kind of out of left field and, and uh, um, it just felt like it was there because they needed something to do 
that was not even everything down to like when when they first show up to the house and and T'Pol is surprised that she's there T'Pol's reaction is like I would just invited 75 people to come over for a kegger and my mother is home. Right. Yeah. Like I, I couldn't, I was having a really tough time with, uh, some of Jolene Blaylock's choices in this because I, I continue. Sorry. You're not getting tired of her, her face to everything that someone says to her, which is that it looks like she is at the very start of some indigestion and she's starting to think about where the bathroom is. Every time someone says something, no, she goes yeah. like, it's it's I it's she's acts like Leland Orser from Seven when they when mm. they're in uh, when they're asking him about what he did with the giant bladed dildo thing. Like every time that she gets into a bind, when she has to like for some reason, it seems like okay, T'Pol's the one Vulcan who has emotions kind of come out. For some reason, that translates into like she's just vibrating. It, like yeah. Michael Ironside is about to blow her head up in scanners. And it's really yeah. it's really strange. And I don't know why she does that. And I mean, drug addict, I guess, but I mean they have uh, to be directing her to do that, right? It's it's that's a storyline that's yeah. continuing. I just I, I guess my problem with it is <laughs> I don't understand never like, what the point. Her mother's never like what the hell, what the hell are you doing? Are you okay? She does it once. She to Paul she, yells. She she's like, I'll go I'll do whatever I want. She goes, What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> like, what are, yeah, why are you talking yeah. to me like this? And it, it's I think my problem is that I don't see the point to this to Paul drug addiction story because it's not it's not amplifying her conflict here. It's just right. throwing this right. wrench into it where she is allowed to react to things that Vulcans shouldn't normally be reacting to. And honestly, like if they were going to do something, have Koss dismantle her argument about not getting married with logic because she can't handle right. it or something you know like they like have the the vulcan sense a kind of weakness in her because she is overly emotional and not reacting properly but the show at this point just has that storyline as something that has to be tagged onto to paul and it's not doing anything outside of that yeah i do i still i'm still bummed that that's the way they went with it because i do think it's it's so much more interesting for her just to be a vulcan who is naturally moving away right. from her vulcan Canity, Vulcanness. Yep. I don't know. Um, and I, <laughs> I was also kind of surprised. At, I'm glad that Trip was not there for this conversation. But when she's talking to Koss, and he's like, "There's really nothing you can do. We have to get married." She's like, "Well, what if I invoke that thing where you have to fight to the death?" <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> if I was Trip, I'd be like, "Listen, um, thanks for showing me around. I don't plan on." fighting this guy to the death he just he just bought his new uh that new traveling button-up shirt he's not gonna get blood all over right, that thing right it's, it's oh not, my god not. can we talk about to paul's uh fashionable vulcan mid-2000s capri pants yep. yeah what <laughs> her <hell>? traveling vest <laughs> like her 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 tops actually were kind of nice like there's that one maroon top with like yeah. the gold whatever but every time they showed her pants it was like she just walked out of forever 21 or something it was very yep. really distracting yeah and <laughs> there was some there was some review um oh it was about the uh the steam deck the the new the new handheld computer thing that valve is releasing and i was looking at a review of someone who, who had dealt with the prototype and they had a line in the review they're like well it's not 
it's not like phone size, but this will fit into a pretty decent size cargo pants pocket. I was like, who the fuck is wearing? <laughs> like how how dated is this? They, is this? Uh, they comparing? know their audience, my friend. <laughs> they know their audience. That has to be it. But uh, back to to Paul and Trip. Mm-hmm. I just I understand. I understand everything that's going on in this story. I think it's happening a little bit too fast, and I really don't like the Vulcan angle of it. But where I do, mm-hmm. I did really like the fact that it ended with Trip not being able to interrupt the wedding, and that she apparently gets yeah. married at the end of this episode. Well, I thought that I was a nice touch. I was expecting him we'll to see. say something. I I don't think the wedding's over. We'll see what happens. Who knows? Oh, it continues. I continues mean, on for a little bit. Yeah, I I. That's the other thing that was very confusing about the mother, because the mother's like, "You need to get married so I can go back to work," and then she's like, "Trip, break this wedding up. You got to break this wedding up." What, what do you Pick think her side, motivation mom. is? I, I don't, I don't know what the mother's motivation is really, because Paul treats her like a tyrant, but she does seem to be implying that Trip, you should probably have some something to say when the guy, when the priest asks, "Does anyone have any See, reason that these two shouldn't be married?" The one the, the the place where I did really like the way that they wrote these Vulcans, or specifically the mother, is the way that she says that to him. She doesn't say, You're clearly in love with her, you need to tell her before she makes a mistake. She says something to the effect of like, You need to tell her how you feel so she has all the information before like yeah. it's a very clinical way of saying like go to her. And I, yeah. I did appreciate that. I was like, that that's a good a, a good Vulcan mom way to impart that information. <laughs> Agreed. It's not a, it's not a run to her son. It's like, well, she should probably have all the variables in her head when she needs to make this option about what she's going to do. I, I agree with that. I, I don't have much else to say about that. I just think that it's a little bit rushed, and I'm not crazy about these Vulcans, and I'm not crazy about that mom. I, and I, I think that the wishy-washiness of the mom pushing stuff is from the fact that I don't know where this mother stands because Paul treats her yeah. like she's terrified of her at the start. <laughs> And then it's kind of a, a, well, yeah, I should probably get my job back. So it's a Paul, you should marry this. And then it's like, okay, well, that's kind of a horrible thing. And then at the end, actually caring about Trip, I would have, I think I would have had more clarity on the storyline if the mother was just a very cold clinical Vulcan who was like, these are the things that we have to do. And that to Paul's drug uh, drug addiction or just being used to being around humans is a kind of weakness in what to Paul has to do. Like the... Because they make all those points about, oh, on Earth, children are allowed to decide what they want to do. And Chip says, yeah, that's right. And then she goes, well, that's insanity. You know, there, there's a kind of, there's a kind of, there's a kind of organicness to, to Paul breaking away from her mother there that I think that they don't really explore because they need this marriage to come through, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They also send her on, I mean, maybe it is believable, but it's a very abrupt arc that they send her on with trip which is why did you bring this crewman crewman here you've never brought a colleague before you need to marry costs and then uh trip fixes the fridge and she's like well (laughs) that was before he fixed the fridge maybe you should marry this guy so he can fix the garbage disposal next so like it's i you know i mean although hey logic Logically, he is better to have around in the house than Koss yeah. is because, you know, he can he can fix stuff. Saves her some. Money. Why does she need that job? She doesn't need that job. She seems perfectly happy the way she is there. The Tapal says she's bored or something, but it's like get a hobby, lady. 
you know yeah do the same thing everybody's parent does when they get when they get retired write a book or start working at like a consignment shop or something start a podcast um here you go yeah (laughs) we're done with Ooh, that would be interesting has nobody done that like an in-character vulcan podcast do you think that would be i'm sure i'm sure there is a fucking slog I'm sure there's an improv. I know there's improv Star Trek, so I assume they do Vulcan characters on it. Um, I've never been motivated to listen to one. Um, let's bang out Flox's story because it'll take 30 seconds, I think. Sure. Um, the main takeaway did you notice digital video this time? We talked about it last episode, how the, the shooting has changed. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I would have specifically said, oh, it's digital, but it is very. Um bright and kind of garish looking and everybody looks like they have makeup on their face yeah they did <laughs> here's like, there the, were a few shots where i was like this is caked on makeup they have on right now it's funny because it's like you don't really notice it unless you're looking for it but once you see it it's really interesting how the move from film to digital i think the biggest impact is that it makes sets really look like sets when you shoot them on digital it looks like when archer's sitting in front of the vulcans telling what he did i was like oh my god this thing looks fake as all hell like i can't believe it and then when archer goes into that bar it's like wow this this looks like a set that they built in three hours which i'm sure it is but it's like it it just on film it just hides it a little bit there's like that sort of just like the Mm -hmm. fuzziness to it just distorts and you don't see how cleanly built everything is but I think digital actually does pretty well when you're on location and in showing characters, there's a clarity to it that film doesn't have, which mm. is both good and bad. But it's just when they're when they're not on location, it really sticks out that these guys are just standing on a make believe world. And it's like completely distracting me how fake everything looks. That's the big difference to me. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed the um, the CGI stuff, and I did notice this in the last, the first two episodes of the season as well, but like the CGI matte paintings and stuff <clears throat> seem sharper, but not better, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like yeah. they feel a lot more painted. Like you can, you can, they feel a lot more artificial. Um, they don't have that little bit of gauze in between your eye and what you're, right. what you're seeing a little to kind of filter. like soften them a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So they do feel really sharp and, and, um, it's interesting because I bet I bet they look better on old TV, honestly. Um, although I guess they were the, shoot, they were shooting in HD, but were they were they broadcasting in HD? They were, this is the I first. They co- yeah, middle of last season. Oh, they, they were, were broadcasting okay. in HD. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it doesn't look that much better. But I like I, I think that one thing that does look better. I think like when you get a look at the makeup, some of the makeup looks really great in digital. Like it, it sharpens the work that's being done into things like that. Like I think Flox's face looks really nice and things like that. Yeah, like you yeah. can see the makeup work being done, yeah. but in other ways, it's just, it is the lighting. Um, I was just reading about it, but it's just, it's digital because just the different of the nature is that it saves money. So the reason they're doing this in this season is because of the budget cuts and stuff, but it saves money, not just in processing, but in lighting because you don't have to light as well for digital as you do right, for film. Sure. Like you can make up yeah. on it. So there's not a need to have constant lighting adjustments done all the time, um, which is probably just where turn the overlit them. thing, just turn the lights up. Yeah. Just yeah. turn them all on. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, I, and, yeah. I don't know if you, if you noticed that you or listeners noticed that in the, 
mid two thousands, but that was there was an epidemic of movies and of TV lights being left on. Like, yeah, put all the lights on. Just throw them all on. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Yeah. Everything was just like those globe lights that they would hang from the ceiling or like float in the sky that would just light everything up and it just looked yep. terrible. So I don't mind the digital. It's just it's it's it is a little bit of adjustment yeah. getting used to it. Uh the flock story. I honestly I was would... just the last thing. I, I, I still don't think I really would have noticed it unless you pointed it out just because yep. it you know I, it was not as big a change as as I, that it would make me go oh something changed. Yeah. I really I watched this this one on the TV. I really noticed it. I'm sure if I put the Blu-rays in I would notice it much more as well. It's one of those things oh, sure. I think. Yeah. Uh what do you think about Flocks and his storyline? Um I thought it was fine. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, <clears throat> I, I actually kind of, well, I liked the idea that there is some xenophobia hangover from the Zindi thing because that feels very natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, they still, they did it the way they always do it when they have to illustrate this stuff, which is some redneck shows up at a bar and starts barking. <laughs> you know, it's the same every single yeah. time they do this in anything. It's the same way. Um, the only thing There's I no wish subtlety. they had done. No subtlety yeah, to the Yeah, the no prejudice. subtlety. It's just yeah. some guy who's like, get out of here, alien. I don't like your kind around here. Right. Yeah. He's wanted on 12 systems. The one um, thing I liked about the lack of subtlety is that <clears throat> Flox's storyline is interesting because I don't like the broad strokes of it because I think it is just like redneck in a bar has something to say and there's a bar fight or whatever. But there's mm-hmm. interesting ideas sprinkled into it, like a, a concept that maybe some people on Earth are like, why is Starfleet going out there and telling aliens where we live? Because this is only right. going to happen. Like, why don't you just right, stay here? Right. There's no like, And I think that... You know, if the show had been on Earth for that entire first season, I think you could really build like really terrific world building universe stuff like that, like factions on Earth that don't want to go into space and things. And sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, it would have, it actually would have highlighted the expanse a little bit more. If, like, if this kind of argument was posted before the third season Zindi arc of like, we brought this on ourselves by exploring. There's kind of a, a push and pull to Archer even going out to try to fix it in the first place. Sure. You know, there's a yeah. there's a conflict yeah. there. And so I like stuff like that. I just didn't like the bar fight and I didn't like that guy and I didn't like, you know, Flux. Hoshi being at the end is being like, you got to stand up to prejudice and go down and have some egg drop soup with me, an Asian woman. Um, <laughs> so outside of that, it was... Um, it was fine. It, it it takes up about three minutes of screen time, too, so there's not too much to say about it at this point. Yeah. The only thing that I <clears throat> kind of wish that they had done differently, but I don't think it really matters because I think it still works the same way. Um, and also, Hoshi didn't have any scenes in this episode up to this point. I, I, w- I kind of wish that it had been Mayweather who talked to, f- to Phlox about what had happened afterwards. Or I mean, the other way to fix that is just have Hoshi go to the bar with them initially. But I, I it just felt it just felt like sorry. Know, why it, it why like, Mayweather? Because he's black. Well, because he was because he was there. Well, yeah, and also. Oh, oh, well, I, I, sorry, I thought you were tying it thematic, thematically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Re, re, I, no, I had, but not Reed. You don't want Reed. <laughs> you don't want Reed. <laughs> no, I think it needs to be someone who <laughs> uh, has experience with what's going on in this particular yeah. story. Um, and it's fine that it's Hoshi, but like, I, it feels like it might've resonated more if it had been Mayweather because Mayweather was there and he saw it, you know, and he had 
the direct experience to with it that he can talk talk about the situation with him. Um, yeah, they never. But it's that's just a, that's a tiny tiny little thing. So it, it's weird because they're in this weird spot where Reed at the start of the episode they continue this mistake where Reed is talking to Flocks and he says, "Oh, racism on Earth." Who would have thought in this day and age? And it's like, well, yeah. it's like, guys, this prequel is like, this is supposed to be some of the stuff that's still going on there. And right, right. I, I understand, like, I, I understand Mayweather too, in both the sense that you could do like a Cisco, um, Far Beyond the Stars type episodes where he kind of breaks the fourth wall a little bit, where it's like, you know, DS9 is that episode where Cisco talks about racism in the past, and no one, no one in current mm-hmm. Star Trek understands it. But if he flashes back to this Benny. Benny character, uh, they can explore that kind of stuff for a black leading role on a Star Trek show. Right, right. Here, they they don't really have anything to say because they're a denying that this is a problem, and they're also not going into any kind of Mayweather development, which is that they haven't touched on the fact that he's a boomer in a while, and maybe these people would be prejudiced not because he's black, but because he was born in space, and that's such a oh sure anathema yeah. you know, to this kind of thing. It's like he represents everything we don't want to do, but they don't touch on either of those things. So it's you're left with a read after trying to pick up chicks all night, <laughs> having to defend flocks and his Starfleet jacket and stuff like that. I... I I thought it was fine, but inconsequential is how I would describe the storyline, the flocks thing. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I, I actually really liked the. I liked. I, I think they got a lot done in a small amount of time, <clears throat> as far as flocks goes, and, and his change in attitude from, yeah, I'm not worried about that. I've, I've lived on Earth for a long time. To the bar fight. To, I you know I just I just don't I just don't feel like going anymore. Yeah, maybe they have a because point. That's yeah yeah. He kind of takes the yeah, side at the end as a justification to get out of it. Right, right. And I think that's that's some good character work with him because he he is a fairly um non-confrontational character. Yeah. And so gregarious. He, situ- he's out, he likes to go out and have fun right, and he's been right. shocked out of having fun. Yeah. Right, right. And to have him give a uh sort of um <clears throat> hand wave what happened as a coverage for him actually kind of being really affected by what happened I think is a is a nice is a nice scene for him to have. Yeah. So let's wrap it up with Archer's storyline which we touched on briefly. He's met the commander of the Columbia, which is the next NX01 ship to come out. Stuff I like How about How many this- episodes till uh till that ship blows up and she dies? I <laughs> know. It happened during the uh, the wedding sequence at the very end. We're going to cut to it next episode. Mm. I, I like the, for, just from an Enterprise perspective, I like the sense of building the fleet. I like the fact that the ships are being updated. I like the fact that more captains mm-hmm. are being brought into the scene. I like all that stuff. Um, wasn't crazy about the him talking to, to Soval or Sokol or whatever that guy, the ambassador that I hate, the Vulcan ambassador that I can't stand, played by Gary Graham. Mm. That all seemed kind of flippant. I guess it's like that, you know, that yeah. character's like, why did you do that? And then at the end, he's like, you know, I want to shake your hand, Archer, because even though I was a dick to you before, I realized that you did the right thing. Felt whatever, trite. Uh, it's mostly him climbing the mountain, getting laid, 
and then being fixed. <laughs> so in a, in a very who did blow up? That wasn't Fellini, right? Who's the, the famous blow up movie is famous because the guy has sex and then he figures out the mystery of what happened and blow. Oh, up. that's uh, Antonioni, I think. Is it? Yeah. So I blow up be, is famous be because he has like a so. he has like a threesome or something. And then when he's done, he like looks at the painting or the picture and he sees what he hasn't been seen for the first time. Archer has a similar hey, experience here. Sometimes you just got to get your mind off and think about something else for it to <laughs> see it with uh, fresh eyes. <laughs> What'd you think about Mo- um, uh, Archer's Mountain sexcapades? I I thought it was pretty good. Again, and my comment about her dying and the ship blowing up is not a quality thing. It's just that it feels like that's on the table for something that yeah. happens to that character. Yes. Um, I liked it. I liked him. I I liked the way they were going with him when he came back, where he's going through and he's looking at the ship and he's seeing the changes that are being made and and you and. You're seeing how his point of view has changed about what he thinks they might need. I really like that scene where he's talking about, like, you're going to need more guns, basically. Mm-hmm. And then later on, he's like, I really didn't want to say that, but it's true. You're going to need more guns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I actually I actually liked that first scene in the uh, debriefing room because it was kind of – it had a bit of a uh, – that uh, uh, you don't know what it's like out there, man. Like you can't yeah. handle the truth kind of scene, which might be a little bit easy, but I think it's it's worth it. Like it 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 makes sense for him to come back and talk to these bureaucrats basically yeah. about what's going on out there, and them not to understand what exactly the situations are. He's got a point that um, the Andorians helped him more than the Vulcans did while they were out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that too. Yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, it plays on his frustrations with the Vulcans that have been there since the beginning of the show, even though they've kind of went away from that for a lot of the last season. But, uh, yeah. And yeah, the mountain stuff with, with the, with the, the captain there, it was fine. You know, I, yeah, it was okay. I, I, I guess, you know, you have to have him work through that to some extent. So why not with some character we've never met before? Yeah, for the Picard thing again, I just think that Archer's Archer's resolution there feels too forced and prodding for me. Where the the Picard sure, breakdown sure. and then him crying and everything about it and getting it all off his chest, that feels like a catharsis that I can understand the character mm-hmm. like after that's done mm-hmm. I go, "Okay, he's kind of he's gotten over this at this point." This is Archer's like God, I'm pissed. Who fucking told me the space would be? She's like, "Well, how about I go down on you?" He's like, "I feel great." You know, he comes down the mountain and it's like, "Well, now I'm all fixed." I I find it a little bit trite there. And honestly, my favorite aspect of it is, I think in the show that I would have really wanted Enterprise to be, not that this would have been better, but the thing that I find to be the focal point of this is like less on Archer being the inconsistency of Archer realizing what space is all about. And I almost could have seen a whole episode of Archer coming back and being frustrated by the Vulcans who didn't help him in the first place and are now questioning whether or not he did the right thing. And there being a kind of blow up or shake up with like the Vulcan relationship at that mm-hmm. point, because I kind of like Vulcans that. accuse him of having sheer fucking hubris. That's right. <laughs> just to tie the whole series together, just do something like that. That because that's I just like that. I, I think that's more important for the Archer character than his realization that space is dangerous. You know, like the series has seemed to have been more about the Vulcan uh, side of holding them sure. back from the start. And I think that him coming back and being like, 
the 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 expanse journey having taught him to just flip off the Vulcans and be like, get the hell out of here. Like we, we don't need, we proved we don't need you at this point and see where it goes from yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. But I do, I do think that I think again, this is an, an instance of what you were saying before, where this probably works a little better in a vacuum than it does as a fourth season episode building on what they've done before. <clears throat> because I, I do like the idea that, <clears throat> Archer had a certain idea and goal for his mission in mind as far as like being a uh, diplomatic explorer ship, not a ship of war. And ultimately when he gets back, he realizes there's no avoiding it. You need, you need to have this, these war capabilities in order to do this. Like his, na- his naivete is broken a bit when he gets back. Which is fine. I think that's a, a a good thing for him to to go through. However, like that gets blown out the window in episode two of the first season. The first time they run into a species that like has guns themselves. Yes, you know. Yeah. So it's like it's there's it doesn't it doesn't feel like that's something that's been building. It to be fair, it has a bit. Because one of the things that the running things through the show is how they have been slowly turning Enterprise into a more familiar starship, which involves yes. better weapons, photon torpedoes. They got lasers and shit now. Yeah, I think a lot um, of the first season was built around the naivete of being out there and running into dangerous stuff and being like, oh, it's actually dangerous yeah. out here. And so I would agree that they've been building on it. I don't think that. In a lot of ways, it feels like more that they've been building on it in a plot sense of the problem with, that Archer is going to run into in this episode is that he doesn't have the tech to be able to deal with the threat right. that's coming at him. Yes, and it's yes. it's less like a philosophical thing that Archer right. is yes. concerned about. He never felt like he's the character who's like, I don't want to fight. I just want to get along and look at the stars and stuff like that. Because the first chance yeah. he gets, he's like, "Give me some bigger guns," and we're going back. Out yeah, there. he's like when they when they put the when they put the phasers on the thing, he's like, "Those things work yet." Can we shoot them? Can we use them now? It's like, well, I mean, they're not done yet. Well, can we? Well, let's just give it a shot and see what happens. Great. And, yeah. And, yeah. you know, so like I, it is, it has been a running thing in the show of, oh, the militarization of the Enterprise, which in and of itself, really interesting concept. Yeah. Like, really I good think idea. that would be, that would be, I would almost say that's worth revisiting now. Like, if, if you could, I mean, if, no, who gives a shit about? I don't give a shit about Canon. Do it again. I don't give a shit. <laughs> just um, reboot Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, just do it. Say it's in the say it's in the the Kelvin, Kelvin universe and do it again. Although I guess technically at that point it's the same universe. But that's true. Um, Have another ship go like back the, in time and create another yeah, another sure, universe. Why not? But like the this the idea of the taking a science vessel and over time militarizing it has so many real world like. Uh, parallels and stuff that is it's a really fascinating idea to look at in especially in Star Trek which is traditionally known as the sci-fi show that that is more thoughtful than it is shoot 'em up yeah um <laughs> enterprises n- not really following that but uh but but what they actually do here like like you're saying it's building on it as though this were a real ethical problem for him when it really hasn't been. Yeah. It's been like this stuff has been happening, but when they put phasers on the, on the enterprise, he's not like, oh, shit, I don't want to have 
lasers now or when they yeah. do the refit and give them a command center he's like this is a science vessel why do we need a command center like he never says that yeah they put the makos on the ship why do we have makos on the ship we that we're a, a, on a mission of peace we're not here to go to war like he never says that yeah so it's it's not i don't I, I don't think necessarily you would have to have him come out and like really vocalize that stuff but it's never even really been there in subtext at all you know so yeah it's, i i, I it's like i like what they're doing three. sorry oh definitely sorry. absolutely yeah uh, i i like what they're doing there i just don't think it builds on i think it for a show like this where you are kind of pivoting at this point in the new season and kind of doing something else i think it works well enough but if you really want to get on it about whether or not it is a is a legitimate follow up to the stuff they've been building, I'd say that's a, kind of a little suspect. But yeah, I I still think it works the same way I think the Tapal and Trip stuff works, just because it's like it's that the Tapal and Trip stuff is like day one soap opera writing. You know, yep. it's like oh these two people like each other. Up oh, one of them's getting married. Shit, what are we gonna do? You know, that's it's very yep. much like the last time they did it. They just pulled a boilerplate soap opera story out out of thin air and put it in the Star Trek show and we were like this is the I've best been episode it. we've ever seen yeah I've been yeah. I've saying I've been saying Enterprise should do this more often what, what's surprising here is that I actually didn't like it as much well I thought that this was maybe the least successful example out of all the examples I can think of which would be like breaking mm-hmm. the ice and the forgotten and stuff like that mm-hmm. I think mostly because those episodes felt organic to the episode itself. And I think that this one felt a little bit too much like we need to reboot the characters a little bit. So let's prod Archer yeah. to realize his mistake and let's prod to Paul to get married to this other guy that we don't know. Yeah. Although we talked about him earlier or whatever. So however, that, that was my problem. However, I mean, if the rest of this season has Archer dealing with that, then I've got no problem with it. But yeah. I have a feeling it, that's not yeah. what's going to happen. But, but I don't, I, I, I would be surprised if that happens, but if it does, then yeah, I think it's I think it's totally totally valid. All right, so let's take a break. We'll play another clip from the episode, which is called "Home." And then we'll come back, read some patron thoughts, and give our final thoughts about "Home." Your actions, while being morally questionable, were necessary. I opposed your appointment as captain of Enterprise, but it's obvious now that I was wrong. Paul has told me that. The expanse would have someday encompassed hundreds of systems, including Vulcan. You've done a great service for both our worlds. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show today. We talked about home. If you want to support the show, if you like what you hear... where I want to be, zip me up and turn me down. If you want to support the show and you enjoy, you enjoy our, our karaoke hour here that we've been doing, patreon.com slash the Penske file is where you go a couple dollars a month. I was, um, I, I read some critique that, wait, you were just saying talking heads, right? I was, yes. Yeah, yeah I, was, I read some critique that uh, said that that song was not that good. And it, it actually shook me. I'm not sure if I agree. I'm not sure if the point was so good that I'm upset that it's true or what. But this isn't the time or place for it. I'll think about it later. Have uh, Have you ever seen? Um, there's it's it's got to be about ten years old now. There's an actor whose name is I think it's Miles Fisher. 
I think. Mm-hmm. He uh, put out an EP where he did a cover of that song, and he did a music video for it, and the entire music video is American Psycho themed. And sure. he looks a lot like Tom Cruise, and he's like a very Tom Cruise-y, Christian Bale-looking guy, so he looks really good as Patrick Bateman. It's worth yeah. checking out. It's a good video. Yeah. Do, is there context there that what, why link it to American Psycho? No idea. Okay. <laughs> that is the greatest love song written by an autistic person that's ever been written. That would be the thing that I would say. Um, Patreon.com Wait, slash who's talking kids is autistic? Burn seems to be autistic is to he me. Really? I, I don't know if he is, but he seems very Oh, you autistic. don't know that for sure. You're just no. okay. No, just in the way the way that he writes and the way that he The thing about talking heads is um read talking heads lyrics and you think, what is this about? Like, what is the metaphor sure. here? And what's interesting about talking heads lyrics is he has no metaphor. Whatever he's literally saying is what he thinks in the song. So they have a song called oh, okay. I People Who Work like they have a song called like Don't Hate the People Who Work for the Government. And it's you're, you're reading it, you're going like, what? What is the metaphor here? Like, what's? He, but it's literally just a song about people who work for the government and all that aren't all that bad. And it's, I think he's semi-autistic or something. Like, he has a very unique mm. emotional relationship to songwriting, which makes his song so psycho killer, uh, so strange. Yeah, yeah. What can you say? <laughs> Patreon.com/slash Depenskvel. You want to go there, and we give extra podcasts, his ability to control what we talk about. You get access to the Captain's Discord channel. Captain Tier, get early access to all these episodes two days early so you can hear what we're going to say before we even say it. There's some kind of Daniel's time travel trick right there. Let's move on before people realize what I just said. We'll go to the Captain's Tier supporters who support the show. Get a special thank you. Tark Latif, Samuel Custer, Joint Mango, Kyle Barrett, Mike Burnett, Andrew Cherlog, Matt Ross, Michael Pond, Christian Pouch, Matt Cutler, Nick Sergey, Grim Santo, Sean Bradley, Killens, Cardinal Doomsday, Dwayne Hack, Evolve 13 Hero, Kevin Reyes, Jordan Cooper, Russell Elwood, Stephen Minton, HH28, Darth Moss, Derek Sajak, Paul Roscoe, Jacob123, Poindexter G, Patrick Seba, Dave Davies, Johnny Franceschi, Mike Harris, Captain Brazen, Eric Santron, Jakey's Gamer, Kevin Lowry, Corey Martin, William Scheisler, Rahan Jaffer, Nick the Red, Dizbrada, Edmark Star, Soylent Blue, Zane Majors, Olivia Park, Derek Grapple, John Zorn, Retail, Tom Hickey, Jose Hunters, EWNF Remixes, Captain McMunchaz, and James McLennan. <gasps> Bill Jonas, Tommy Tango, Two Vicks Must Die, Dennis Seifert, Chris McLaughlin, and Mutilated Puppet. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Lokai is still missing in action, but we'll see Uh-oh. if that person ever comes back. My uh, my mom is a, is a big uh, fan of the Kinks. Sure. And so I was over at their house this past weekend, and I informed her about the long-running saga of whether or not Dave Davies... Our patron the is patron. actually Dave Davies yep. from the Kinks. Yeah, yeah. She was she was interested, even though I don't think she understood half the, the, half the words, of <laughs> half of what I was talking about. <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, he's created a lot of uh, Twitter sock puppet accounts to throw us off the sense, but I'm I'm fairly sure yeah. that our patron Dave Davies is the Dave Davies. Let's go to patron thoughts about home. The There's only, only couple. The only guest I ever want to have on this show from now on is Dave Davies from the Kinks to talk about Star Trek. <laughs> so whatever we have to do to make that happen, let's do it. Make it so. I think we're far ahead of the patrons because we're like four or five weeks ahead of the episode releases. So I don't think people are caught up to us, which is maybe a downside of having this much of a backlog and that we're not getting as many patron yeah. comments. But we'll see. Kyle Barrett said... So this is like a pre-taped Colin show. I'm going to tell you now to post comments about <laughs> shows eight weeks ahead of time so that you'll be there for next week. Oh, the pre-taped Colin show. One of the best skits I've ever seen in my life. 
Cow Barrett says, Home, this might be the first time the celebratory teaser fits with the opening credit song, but I love the way the rest of the episode I was going to say that. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I literally wrote that down, and I was going to say this is the only time in this show so far that the, the jump from the show to that upbeat song actually works. Yep. Last time was Hitler had invaded the U.S. and was standing taking a picture yes. outside the Statue of Liberty, and they're like, it's been a long time. This is a little bit better. They make it home. Although I must stress again, terrible, terrible speech from Archer. Really bad. Yeah, and real that, bad. That's, that's a real, real bad. bad speech. Yeah. Uh, I love the way the rest of the episode exposes the darker truth and personal toll of Earth's rescue. The consequences on each character are fascinating and in some cases surprisingly bold, with Phlox's reaction to the xenophobia feeling especially hardened. The idea is that some character developments are treated by the episode... The issue is that the some the issue is that some character developments are treated by the episode like a plot it needs to tie up rather than simply contemplate on. So while Archer's turn towards isolationism is engaging, it's played in the final act like an affliction he can get cured of by getting his rocks off after climbing on some rocks. The character drama is great, but the writers just don't trust themselves enough and end up forcing choices with some narrative device like DePaul's mother's blackmail instead of it being purely character driven. The hardship of soldiers coming home from war was no doubt topical when the episode aired, and I wish Home could have explored it further with Hoshi and Mayweather two instead of just the main players still four plastic vulcaneers that don't match the actor's skin tone out of five yeah like that digital video right there yeah what if um instead of instead of having that blackmail plot baked into it excuse me what if they had switched it and so it wasn't i mean as much as i do like to paul inviting trip to come to to, to Vulcan what if Vulcan what if Trip was like I've always wanted to see Vulcan how about I come with you and she reluctantly is like okay fine <clears throat> and then when they get there it turns out that she has made the decision that she is going to marry Koss mm-hmm. because she feels like she needs to re-Vulcanize her tires or whatever yes um, and that way you, you can build that same conflict out of Trip and Paul. And what's going on with them instead of throwing in some, you know, black motherly interventions. Yeah. Like you could yeah. still have the mom there. Maybe yep. even the mom is like on trip side and she recognizes the fact that T'Pol should is doing the wrong thing. I don't know. Yeah. But like that way, at least you, you've got this, this thing centered, centered on your characters instead of instead. And so you get character scenes out of it instead of, plot scenes which is what yeah. you get in this there's a lot of plot scenes in that storyline there's not a lot of character scenes yeah that's true yeah i would like that because i think you can actually play the mother in a lot of different ways there you can she can take a totally logical approach and end up with a surprising conclusion to it too like there's mm-hmm. there's ways you can you write that f- she could have a funny accent she could, she could uh, yeah she could have a little funny little hat on <laughs> she could <laughs> She could do like a she could have a catchphrase or do like an over over exaggerated like eye roll or something. There's many ways you could play the mother. That's so rational. It'll work. Matt Ross says, "Home." The opening in this That's episode illogical. <laughs> Matt Ross says, "The opening in this episode is what season four needed to start right, as opposed to running around the fake Nazi cheesiness." Archer is still not exactly right. 
is still not exactly shown right. First, he was happy-go-lucky, then extremely angry, now extremely bitter, but the one thing that is sure to make him happy-go-lucky is his unnamed vanilla blah love interest. Archer's dream of Zindi and his burnout, as well as his annoyance at the dickish Vulcans, however, did seem correct that they were totally unhelpful. The T'Pol and Trip adventure was more interesting, and it felt like the, felt like the parent meeting from hell and a reinforcement that Vulcans are asses to their own people as well. And we have to have a fist fight somewhere, uh, and with an as-yet-recently-discovered balloon face for flocks that does what? Two, no chance with the ladies' reads out of five. Hey, it, it stopped the fight, didn't it? It did stop the fight. That's what blowfish do. Did what it had to big. do. Yep. Uh, one they thing kill he, you if you eat the wrong part of them. He triggered me a bit here in the memory that um, Trip is surprisingly passive, this trip, this vacation he takes, where, where I, where I <laughs> yes. expected the mother to be antagonistic towards him and, and rile him up in a way that I feel is true to Tripp's character. He's mm-hmm. He basically sits around getting insulted most of the time and it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, what are we going to do? Yeah. Like, this is the way it is. I'll fix your dryer. It's true. I'm terrible. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it felt like there was space to go somewhere, but they didn't. And I guess the, the, the problem with it narratively is that it seems like he just has to sit around for a while and doesn't have anything to do until T'Pol tells him yeah. she's getting married. So he literally has to fix the, yeah. the dryer or whatever they, they fix. <clears throat> Matt Cabanis Adley says, with Enterprise's version of family from TNG, we continue a long line of excellent Star Trek redo episodes. I guess it's Redux, Redux episodes. As usual, T'Pol gets the best storyline, and Trip continues to refuse to try to understand foreign cultures. Good to know the Academy still loves war epics in the 22nd century. Five arranged marriages out of five. I wouldn't say that Trip doesn't try to understand foreign cultures. He's, like you said, he's pretty passive about everything. He's, he's, pa- he's like, passive yeah. on this one. Yeah. He, does, he doesn't get upset by them in the way that... I would kind of say as a trip characteristic, at least early on it was. Maybe he's grown as a character since then, but he he was generally pretty uh he was he didn't have the sort of semi diplomacy of Archer. He was much more of a like this is weird. I don't like this kind of a kind of a character, mm. which is fine. He barely bats an eye when he wears to Paul's dead dad's clothes. Yeah. These were my husbands. We fell in love even though we only met once before we were married. This is a touching story. Darth Mosk mm-hmm. says, Home, my eyes are bleeding from the CGI. T'Pol can't keep still while Archie gives a speech. I think she's still tweaking out or has PTSD from the baseline being removed from It's Been a Long Road. Archer is concerned about the lumbar support, but not the live welding with obnoxiously far spark dispersion. <laughs> it is true. That guy is really going to town on uh, that welding. Vulcans are far too logical for T'Pol to not use a letter opener. The Eddie Bauer hiking catalog is strong in this episode. Three middle schools named for Archer out of five. It did. Um, <clears throat> it did bring up how much I don't understand how hiking. I mean, rock climbing works because mm. I, I don't understand how safety ropes work. Well, how do they get them into the rock? Do they just hammer them in? Right. Do they have like a gun. Yeah. I've never, never understood it. Like, how do you, how do you have a safety rope like higher that you you got to climb to put it up? Right. Yeah, I think in real life you just you climb a little bit and hammer one in so that if you fall you're back to your point where you were. You know, I see. You you don't attach it higher. I think that's done narratively just for drama, but I I think that's what they would do. Mm. Um, 
Point XG says, spending some time on the Earth Vul- on an Earth Vulcan-based episode to reground the series is a smart move. The setup of the rise of xenophobia makes sense, as does both the crew's and Phlox's response to it. While the dialogue is very on the nose, having Archer verbalize how the last season's arc affected him is much appreciated. It seems all he needed to get out of his funk was to get some. The T'Pol storyline seems right out of a teen drama series, but somehow it still works. In the final comment, Yarpy says, after two utterly ridiculous episodes, we're back on track for good enterprise. I'm really liking the new trip, the more seasoned veteran. Wes's favorite Vulcan assholes are back. This episode is basically Enterprise's version of TNG's family and mostly works almost as well. Four Vulcan gongs out of five. Almost five out of five. Thank you, patrons, for your thoughts about the episode called Home. Clay, what are you going to give this one on a scale of one to five? Um... I think I'm going to give it a four. Sounds good. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I think it, I think it does what it needs to do pretty well. You know, small tweaks that we were talking about aside. Um, I don't think it would have made a great season opener, though. Oddly no. enough, because it, uh, it's very the whole thing. It doesn't have enough going on for yep. it to be a season opener. Same as family um, was in the season, like Best of Both Worlds Part Two was the opener, you know, to, to close out the two part. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, I don't know what I would do in that case. Like, if you got rid of the the Nazi stuff, you got to do something for an episode or two to start the season. That's true. not this. It's true. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. It's it's tough because like anything you I can think of to do would feel kind of contrived, like just. Much like the Nazi thing, a problem for the sake of having a problem. So I don't know. Yeah, it would feel another like Degra's uh, Nebula Pirates. You know, we got one episode of stuff to right, get through before right. we get home, even though we're home. So yes, yeah. I um, we can't get off the ship because all the doors are locked. What are we gonna do? The transport is broken. How can we get home? I like to this. We're all episode. going insane in here. We're going crazy. I like this episode. I I like what this episode is implying for what's going to come potentially after it. I like the sort of change mm-hmm. in direction that's going on there. I don't think Enterprise to this point has done a lot of episodes like this, which are just character things. When they do, they tend to stick out to us as like, oh, this is a unique thing that they're doing. I mm. I think where it suffers for me is the fact that it has so much baggage from the past three seasons attached to it that I think that it makes the character moves here seem either clunky or not earned or too on the nose or something that was like, well, I guess that was kind of a problem for him, but I don't really think the show ever thought that was a problem. So maybe it's not really a problem. And this is just kind of a strange direction to go with it. Um, But I did like it. I would have a hard time on my scale saying that someone should watch this episode as someone who's not familiar with Star Trek be like, watch them home. No, <clears throat> I would not. No, it, it, this is not something I would recommend someone who's never watched the show. If yeah. if you were going through the show, this would be, I would say definitely must, watch yeah. this when you, when you get to season four, but I would not be like, Hey, you, Oh my God, you've never seen home yeah. from enterprise. <laughs> you've never seen any episode of enterprise before. <laughs> Oh, you got to see the one where they go. You got to see the one where T'Pol's mom tries to get her married <laughs> off to avoid blackmail. But what's I so I guess that's the difference for me. I'm not saying this is a five, but I think there is a way that you can show family to someone and it works as a 
standalone drama episode. You know, I yeah. think there's I think yeah, there's I would, enough would, of a core yeah. to that one where you're like, you could show yeah. this and someone would be like, this is what Star Trek is. And you go, no, not at all. But this is a pretty okay episode of TV. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think home even gets to that level. I think anything that I really like about it is paradoxically related to what I know about the characters, which is very little, but I, I depend on that very little to get to that point. I'm going to give it a sure. three, a three out of five for me. I think it's, I think it's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. That's it. I give it a three. Clay gives it a four. We're off to different scores with season four of enterprise at this point so keeping track at home thanks very much everybody thank you patrons for supporting the show if you want to be a patron patreon.com slash the penske file patreon.com slash the penske file best way to support the show we'll continue with our once a week i think we're we're probably in the middle of doing lower decks at this point i would assume so hopefully lower decks is going it, well with its season two it is hilarious such an improvement on the first season um when cyborg showed up in episode two, oh my god, <laughs> unbelievable! <laughs> Great show. <clears throat> and that's it. So you guys know what we're doing. Enterprise continues. All that stuff. We're going to move further into the fourth season. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, keep checking out Rotten Horror Picture Show. I have no idea what the most recent movie is at this point, um, but we're still Amanda and I are still trucking through the Friday the Thirteenth series on Patreon. August is part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. September is part nine. Well, technically part nine. They stopped call using the parts after part eight. Oh, uh, yeah. Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday. So that's going to be fun. Jason's in that movie for about eight minutes, I think. Um, and uh, Badass, we're, we're getting pretty close to being done with Badass. Uh, we've only got a few episodes left. It's a shorter season. So, um, yeah, check it out. Might be done. And if you guys are not patrons, but you want to hear some general thoughts about Friday the 13th, Clay and Amanda did a live stream six weeks ago, probably oh, yeah. at this point, that you can check out to see general it was stuff. hilarious when Cybox showed up towards the end. It was amazing. <laughs> we better hope the internet holds up for that uh, for that event. Otherwise, none of this is going to make sense. It's going to be like a Ray Jaffer uh, comment on Patreon. Thank you very much for supporting us. Thank you for listening. We're moving through Enterprise Season 4. I gave home a 3. Clave gave it a 4. We're done. The next episode is called The Augments, I think. I saw the opening. Netflix just did a... Netflix ran for a couple seconds. Seemed interesting. I was intrigued by what was going on there. Some Klingons. Professor Sung getting into... Yeah. You see his, you see his crazy picture. S- silly business. <laughs> yeah. It's Borderland is the next episode, actually. Borderland. So... We'll uh, we'll see where that goes. It'll be good to have Spiner back back in action. Thanks very much. We'll see you later. <laughs>